0: Do you feel that you're modeling appropriate and positive behavior for today's youth? I feel like we just figured out who or what killed Biggie and Tupac. Gary, Gary, Gary.
1: Gary Hoffman.
2: He's like a little man. Hi, guys. I'm
1: Shannon. Shannon Farron. I like that she's a fighter and that she doesn't give up. Who are you? Gary and Shannon.
2: You
0: can talk. Ah. Gaga.
2: No, we really talk. Now let's get this nightmare started.
0: Floating in outer space and I misplaced a part of my soul.
3: Shannon show the AM M. six forty. More stimulated talk mo Kelly in for Gary and Shannon. Just wanna let you know here are today's top stories. We're following. Yeah, people are mad at the Supreme Court. <laughs> you, you're not going to like both of the decisions. That's what we're going to find out. They handed down two decisions. One blocking the Trump administration on census citizenship question regarding citizenship. And the Supreme Court says that federal judges have no role in policing gerrymandering. Hmm. Interesting. We're going to talk about that. And, of course, <laughs> the fallout, I should say, the continuing fallout of the debates. Well, let me just start right there, I'm hosting the Mo Kelly Show, which airs on KFI from six to eight p.m. on Saturdays and Sundays. And one of our favorite segments we do is called "Race for the White House." And I think it's apropos that we give you a little taste right now.
2: Madam Speaker, the President of the United States.
1: Our new slogan for 2020. You know what it is? Keep. America
4: Great. I am a candidate for President of the United States of America.
0: I stand before you today to announce my candidacy for President
5: of the United
0: States. Announce my candidacy for President
4: of the United States. I am a candidate for President of the United States. I'm Cory Booker, and I'm running for President of the United States of America.
6: My name is Tim Ryan, and I'm running for President of the United States.
0: Well, I'm going to run for President of the United States. here we go. And down the they come!
3: Did you catch that? It's like a horse race. It's like a sporting event. And even the networks are sort of getting that point. MSNBC, NBC, they characterized it as like a boxing match. They had pregame show coverage. That's what they called it. And, yeah, it's a rating spectacle. That's what they want. They want to turn it into spectacle. But beyond that, the question that everyone asks, and I think it's very easy to answer, who won? Who won the debate? Who lost the debate? Who's now closer to the Oval Office than than before the debate? And really, it's simple to answer all of those questions. It's really simple. I mean, you can't win a nomination after one debate, but you damn sure can lose any chance of getting the nomination after one debate. Here's just my metric for who wins and who loses a debate. And it's super simple. If a candidate. And this is irrespective of party, it's irrespective of debate. I think this is true all the time. If a candidate improved his or her standing, which means maybe they gained donors, maybe they gained donations because both are important, not just the, the amount of donations but the number of donors you have. If you improved in subsequent opinion polls after the debate, then that candidate or candidates, plural, won. You can have more than one winner. You can have more than one loser. I mean, it's part style. It's part substance. But debates are mostly about how candidates made you feel. Yeah. It's wholly subjective. Just how they made you feel. It's a beauty contest, or as I would like to call it, an ugly contest. Because there's not a lot of beauty up on the stage. And I don't mean physical beauty You're picking them apart. You're looking for flaws. You're looking for all the things that they don't do well, and rarely do you see things that they do do well. Did he or she project strength, self-assuredness? Did they seem fluent with their own information? This is what's going through my head, at least. Were they able to move past their own talking points? Or were they like Beto O'Rourke where they started every answer with an anecdote and never really even got to answering the question. Because for me last night, it was really obvious who had debate experience. And it was real obvious who was only comfortable in a town hall setting, wink, wink. And with that in mind, here are my debate winners and losers. And we'll play some audio in the next segment, but I just want to get this out of the way so you had an understanding of where I was coming from or at least how I perceived what went on last night in Miami. In no particular order, here's who I felt won the debate. Winning in the sense of improve their standing, improve their perception, likely will gain donors and donations. And you don't have to like them. In fact, this is not even who I like. This is who I think actually improved where they are in the grand scheme. Senator Amy Klobuchar, Minnesota. I think she's better off today than she was yesterday. And some of her answers I really didn't like. But I think she connected with people. Secretary Julian Castro, former HUD secretary, and also a guest on the Mo Kelly show. Julian Castro was polling at maybe 1% and was not being taken seriously. And I think he helped in the candidacy of one of the participants last night. I'll get to that in just a moment. And if you listen to all the sound bites, Julian Castro is probably in a lot of them. In a good way. And also Senator Cory Booker. He seemed studied. He seemed well rehearsed and prepared. He was able to answer a lot of questions off the cuff. Uh, You have to know about the audience in terms of who is tuning into a dim debate, who cares about what they have to say. The fact that he was able to bring in the LGBTQ community and trans community on the fly and referencing trans violence, I thought scored for him. I think it resonated with the dim, dim uh, base. Julian Castro's, let me go back to him for a second, how he undressed Beto O'Rourke for not having done his homework. That's going to be on replay for a long time. Because that was Texan to Texan. Castro was the first and only person to mention Puerto Rico. I don't understand that. I think that should have been an obvious topic of conversation. Remember, it was being broadcast on NBC, MSNBC, Telemundo. You spent time speaking Spanish or half the candidates wanted to show off how well or how poorly they spoke Spanish. And you didn't really mention Puerto Rico. Didn't make sense. But since Julian Castro actually did, then I think more people took notice of him. Senator Elizabeth Warren. I don't think she did anything to hurt herself and she will remain among the front runners. I think she was more polished. I think she was more on her message and able to deal with whomever was around her with relative ease. And I actually think Congressman Tim Ryan, even though he kind of flubbed that answer in that uh, back and forth with Tulsi Gabbard, more people know about him and I think more people are going to take notice of him going forward. In terms of the losers before we go to this break. I felt there was only one loser, one person who really hurt himself, damaged his campaign and I would say destroyed any chances of becoming president or winning the nomination. Beto O'Rourke. I believe he killed his candidacy last night. Yes, I could be hyperbolic at times, but I'm absolutely clear on this one. He seemed unsure, unprepared, sheepish and worried about offending anyone who directly went after any of his answers. He seemed like he realized he was in over his head. Have you ever looked in someone's eyes and see that look where they feel like, oh my gosh, I didn't study for the test, or I don't know what I'm going to do, or they might find out I'm a fraud? That's what he looked like last night. And it may not have been true. He may not have been thinking any of that. But the whole point that I thought that, I believe other people thought that, and that was what I believe he was giving off. It's not a town hall, and there's no way in the world I believe Democrats think that he could stand toe-to-toe with Donald Trump on a stage. I think he's done. America can prove me wrong, but I doubt they will. When we come back, oh yeah, and by the way, uh, Mayor de Blasio, I think he won jackass of the night. I think he won that going away. I don't think he garnered any more support, but I think he proved that he probably is not what the Democrats are looking for. When we come back, we have audio from the Dem debate, and we'll preview night two. I thought it was very entertaining for what it was. It's not all about ratings. A lot of times it's about burgeoning storylines. You want to care more. You want to see more. You want to know more about these candidates, and I think it did its job in that respect. This is the Gary and Shannon Show. Mo Kelly in for Gary and Shannon. KFI, more stimulating talk. Hell yeah! The top off a bottle and I ain't stopping you. Gary and Shannon show, KFI and 640. More stimulating talk. Mo Kelly in for Gary and Shannon today and tomorrow. Some other top stories that we're following. FAA pilots have found a new flaw with the Boeing 737 MAX. Uh, That's not good news. And we'll have an update on the USC gynecologist accused of sex abuse corbin carson will be joining us at the top of the hour to give us all the latest on that and before the break i was running down who i felt won and lost the democratic debate last night despite what the president may say i thought it was anything but boring yes it's going to start off slow before people start all out attacking one another but there were some good moments if you watched, if you were really paying attention and I know there's been some discussion about whether the, whether the Democratic candidates while speaking Spanish were either pandering or insulting. Let me tell you what I thought about that. I thought it was good that they acknowledged that there was a Spanish-speaking element watching the debate. There's nothing wrong with that. I thought it was strange, though, how some of the candidates tried to incorporate it, how Beto O'Rourke, in his first answer, to the first question didn't even try to answer the question he gave a rehearsed Spanish monologue that to me is beyond pandering that's just insulting because if you want to make it as if Spanish-speaking people only care about you speaking Spanish or you can only reach them if you speak Spanish then I think that's insulting I think it's insulting if you only think that the Spanish-speaking public only cares about immigration reform not the other issues of health care or gun control or education, then that also is insulting. I was waiting for a presidential candidate to use Spanish on those other issues, but instead it was mostly for immigration reform. That's like when presidential candidates try to speak to the African-American community and they only talk about the African-American community in terms of uh, crime or crime or Chicago in crime or unemployment. In other words, pathology, as if healthcare and education and gun control, all those other issues, abortion, women's rights, all those other things are important to the conversation. Like, for example, if you want to talk about black unemployment of being 7%, well, that means that 93% of us have jobs. Think about that in those terms. But before I get too far afield, some great audio as I was referring to people speaking Spanish. Now, I'm not so sure if Beto sounds like the quote unquote gringo with a thick accent. All I know is it was really rehearsed to Spanish and it didn't seem natural. It seemed forced and it seemed like he really didn't even know what he was saying. It sounded more phonetic than anything. You be the the judge.
6: This economy has got to work for everyone, and right now we know that it isn't, and it's going to take all of us coming together to make sure that it does. Necesitamos yeah, incluir cada persona en el éxito de esta economía. Pero si queremos hacer eso, necesitamos incluir cada persona en nuestra democracia. Cada votar, cada votante necesitamos la representación, I y that. cada voz necesitamos Each escuchar. Voice. Right now, we have a system that favors those who can pay for access and outcomes. That's how you explain an economy that is rigged to corporations and to the very wealthiest. A $2 trillion tax cut that favored corporations while they were sitting on record piles of cash and the very wealthiest in this country at a time of historic wealth inequality. A new democracy that is revived because we've returned power to the people. No PACs, no gerrymandering, automatic and same-day voter registration to bring in more voters, and a new Voting Rights Act to get rid of the barriers Congress that are in place now. Work. That's how we each have a voice in our democracy and make this Congress economy work for everybody.
2: That, that's time, sir.
3: If it would have gone on, you would have heard the plea. Uh, Beto, could you like, actually, actually answer the question this time? Can you get to the answer? as opposed to pandering and, in my view, insulting the audience. Again, Telemundo was one of the broadcast partners. I get it. You want to speak to that audience directly, but you could have done it in a way which was just not so blatantly insulting. Also, there was this moment between Julian Castro and Beto O'Rourke going back and forth on immigration, and I believe it was at this moment that Beto O'Rourke sort of just Withdrew all together, and then realized he was in over his head.
4: Hey, Bethel, I think it's a mistake, and I think that that if you truly want to change the system, then we got to repeal that section. If not, thank you. Then it so might we'll as well say, be the same let, policy. Let, let, let me, me respond to
6: this very briefly. Actually, as a member of Congress. I helped to introduce legislation that would ensure that we don't criminalize those who are seeking asylum and refuge I'm in this country. If you're about, fleeing, if you're the fleeing desperation, then I'm I want to make about, sure I'm I want to make about sure everybody that you're treated else. with respect.
4: I'm still talking about everybody but, but else. But
6: you're looking at just one small part of this. I'm talking about a comprehensive rewrite of our immigration that's laws. That's not true. And if
4: we do that, that's I don't think not, it's asking too not much not for true. people I'm to follow about, our laws when they come to this country. I'm talking about millions of folks. A lot of folks that are coming are not seeking asylum. A lot of them are undocumented immigrants, right? And you said recently that the reason you didn't want to repeal Section 1325 was because uh, you were concerned about human trafficking and, and drug trafficking. But let me tell you what. Section 18, uh, Title 18 of the U.S. Code, Title 21 and Title 22 already cover human if we, trafficking. Drugs, no I or think drug that you should do your homework on this sure issue. That if you did your homework on this issue, you would know that we should repeal this section. White. This, this
1: is an issue that...
3: Thoughts and prayers to the candidacy of better O'Rourke. This is the Gary and Shannon Show. Mo Kelly in for Gary and Shannon KFI. More stimulating talk... Gary and Shannon on this Thursday and will also be in on Friday. Some stories we're watching. The USC gynecologist accused of sex abuse. Well, we're going to have an update to that story. KFI's own Corbin Carson will weigh in at the top of the hour. We just finished recapping the first round of Democratic debates. We will circle back to that later on. I have to play the audio for you of the Mao. Well, put it this way. Someone from MSNBC or NBC, I don't know who was responsible, but whoever was responsible for the mic malfunction last night, I'm quite sure they're looking for a job today. You had one job and you couldn't get it right on the biggest stage. We'll definitely talk about that later, as well as the Supreme Court decisions ended down. Now, Blake, you're probably too young to remember this. Nick, you're probably too young to remember this. Tessa Verrera, you're probably too young to remember this. But I remember a time in which people were very concerned, scared, about what would happen if they were going to drive their Ford Pinto for
5: any distance. They were... I've seen a Ford Pinto. They oh. were prone to explosions, weren't they? Yes, yes. Yeah. You Googled that, didn't you? I, I have heard about it from people, yes.
3: Yes, uh, a yeah. rear impact. Uh, the gas tank, given where it was positioned, was more likely to explode. And it didn't do... Uh, wonders for the sales of the Ford Pinto. I don't know if you remember when Tylenol had an issue with cyanide I think one person died if I remember correctly.
2: I'm glad I don't remember these things.
3: Yeah well actually it was uh, the reason why we have this tamper resistant packaging now in large part because someone had laced Tylenol with cyanide. I, I use those historical references to point out it usually doesn't take people long to run away from dangerous products or locations, usually. But when I look at the Dominican Republic story, to tie all this together, I don't really understand how you can end up, with all due respect or disrespect, however you want to characterize it, how you can end up being the 10th person to die in the Dominican Republic. It would only take two for me, and I'm not going.
2: One through five, I think.
3: Yeah, because maybe three through five didn't know what was going on and they were already there in the country. But if you've already scheduled your vacation to the Dominican Republic and you still go, whatever happens, happens.
2: I had a buddy. He just canceled his. He had to cancel his. I'm like, good for you. Right. Why would you? Because clearly,
3: and I can't confirm this, but the optics seem that uh, tourists are being targeted on some level. It's happening in the high end tourist areas of the country, at hotels, at resorts. They're probably ingesting something from all the similar circumstances. It probably has something to do with alcohol in many bars. That means stay your ass out of the Dominican Republic. I don't know if it's a single person or group of people or someone who's trying to hurt Dominican Republic tourism. I don't know. All I know is I will not be in the Dominican Republic. And that was a country once upon a time I did want to visit. Once upon a time, and it's not going to be one in which I'm going to visit now. Yes, I know. I could walk outside and get hit by a bus. I understand all that. I'm just saying I'm not going to pay money to get on a plane like a 737 MAX, (laughs) Boeing, and go to the Dominican Republic. We'll get to that as well. That's another story which kind of ties into this. That which you can control, I think you should control.
2: Yeah, that'd be a twofer, the plane and then the dangerous place.
3: But I mentioned planes for this reason. There are certain airlines which are allowing passengers to cancel flights to the Dominican Republic without penalties. And good on them. Good on them as in the would-be travelers and good on them, the airlines, allowing uh, travelers to get refunds or changes to their itinerary. Three airlines. Delta Airlines told ABC News that the company's policy would temporarily change following the deaths of 10 known tourists at two resort locations on the island nation. Delta said, quote, Delta will work with our customers on an individual basis using situational flexibility to adjust itineraries on flights. Close quote. Why couldn't they use just plain English and said, we're going to help motherfathers fathers out. Just, just say, hey, you want to change your trip? We got you. Free of charge. That's all they need to say. That's all they need to say. A spokesperson for JetBlue released a statement, and here's a little bit of that. Quote, The safety of our customers and crew members is our first priority. This is JetBlue talking. Hmm. While JetBlue's flights to the Dominican Republic are unaffected, we are working with the U.S. Embassy and local authorities to stay updated on developments, close quote. And the third airline, American Airlines, told ABC that it was, quote, working with customers on a case-by-case basis, close quote. So American didn't actually say that they were going to give you an easy way out or a free exchange, they said they'll work with you. I guess they didn't want to lock themselves into any definitive decision. But it is still amazing to me, despite all the people who will change their trips, despite all the people who will instead decide to go to, I don't know, Belize, or maybe Venezuela, or maybe they will go to Haiti or Jamaica, somewhere in that general area instead of the Dominican Republic. There are people who will use this time because I'm quite sure the price to fly to the Dominican Republic has dropped precipitously. I'm quite sure you can get a great deal on a flight and hotel stay in in the Dominican Republic right now, and there are people who are running to that opportunity. I'm just not that person. Are the odds still in my favor If I just don't drink the water, as they say, if if I just don't uh, attack the minibar, are the odds working in my favor? Yes. But is it worth betting your life on? Is it worth buying that old classic Pinto? Is it worth getting that unopened bottle of Tylenol from 1983? Is it worth getting on a Boeing 737 Max right now? Even though FAA pilots have found a new flaw, do you want to be that person on that flight? Maybe you drove to the airport in that Pinto, and you want to go to that country to have that vacation. Are you that person? I would definitely love to meet you so I can call you a dumbass. Stop laughing, Blake. That was not funny. I was being serious. You are a dumbass if you do those things. If you bought a Pinto, you're using old Tylenol. If you're going to get it on a 737 Max and you're going to go to the Dominican Republic to have a vacation and you're going to drink out of the mini bar, I'm not saying that you deserve to die. I would never be so callous. I would never say that. I'm just saying I would laugh at you after it happened. This is the Gary and Shannon Show. Bo Kelly. in for Gary and Shannon, KFI A640, more Stevie Lady Talk. I'm on a leave. KFI more stimulating to Gary and Shannon show. Mo Kelly in for Gary and Shannon. If you're not familiar with me, I host the Mo Kelly show here on KFI. Saturdays and Sundays from 6 to 8 p.m. You can find out more about me, well, if you can listen to the show, obviously. We'll have uh, chair of the House Intelligence Committee, Adam Schiff on the program Saturday evening. You can check me out at MrMoKelly.com. That's M-R-M-O-K-E-L-L-Y.com on social media at MrMoKelly, Twitter and Instagram, or facebook.com forward slash The Mo Kelly Show. Some other stories that we're following today, you might have heard Tessa Barrera. She'll probably have more information on about the Torrance woman who was killed while snorkeling in the Bahamas. And at the top of the hour, we'll have information about USC gynecologist who was accused of sex abuse. KFI's own Corbin Carson will have the latest on his arrest. And that's coming up in just a few minutes. And of course, we'll have more on the Democratic debates, what happened last night and what is slated to happen, and who was on the dais tonight. That's all coming up. And if you didn't know, I am a diehard, lifelong Dodgers fan. Love the Dodgers. Some of my fondest childhood memories are connected to the Dodgers. Crying, going to sleep when they lost the World Series each year in 77 and 78 to the Yankees. I have fond memories of going to Dodger Stadium with my father who would take me for various reasons. And unfortunately, I don't get to go to the Dodger games like I used to, just because life gets in the way. But there's nothing like seeing a baseball game in person. For all those out there who think baseball is so boring, well, that means you haven't actually gone to a game. It's not a sport which transfers well on TV, just like hockey. Love hockey. It is great. It's great. In person, You get a sense of the speed, the strategy, the movement of the players. You get to feel the ice in terms of hockey. When you're in uh, watching a baseball game in person, you get to see the signs which are being used by the, the third base coach. You get to see the shift in the outfield and the infield, the signs from catcher to the pitcher. You get to see all of that in real time, whereas on TV, you only get to see a, a fraction of that. I say all that to say the in-stadium experience, especially for baseball, really can't be matched if you're a, a sports fan. And I know it doesn't necessarily feel like that for younger people today. But for me, I don't think you can beat the in-stadium uh, experience of baseball. But there's something else that I did notice over the years, that I'm surprised, which hasn't happened more often. People getting hit with foul balls. I'm not saying it's a function of just people always being in their phones and not paying attention, but I'm surprised that it hasn't happened more often, and specifically with the Dodgers. And if you followed this issue on any level, you know there was a fan who was struck by a foul ball at Dodger Stadium last year and tragically passed away. There was a fan who was hit in the face with a foul ball on Sunday. And taken to the hospital. And mind you, they've already had two instances of expanding the netting behind home plate, which extends down the first and third baseline to protect more of the fans. But if you've ever been in a a, a stadium, a baseball stadium, you can't protect everyone. And that baseball oftentimes is coming really, really fast. And if you've ever played baseball, that baseball is nothing to mess with. It is quite painful when you get hit with it. I've only had the chance to catch one foul ball in my life, and I missed that opportunity. But you always have to stay alert. When that game is going on, it's not a game where you can just have your attention float around for 20 minutes at a time. You actually actually have to watch every single pitch. And and for many people, maybe that's too much to ask. But the wooden bats, which sometimes fly into the stands, obviously the foul balls, the players who are chasing after foul balls who fall into the stands, all those things are hazards. And now the lawyer for a two-year-old who was hit by a foul ball at the Cubs-Astros game, I would say a few months ago, they've released a statement indicating that the two-year-old suffered a skull fracture and seizures. Now, I understand it's the lawyer speaking on behalf of the family. I know that there's a lawsuit involved, but I will take him at his word in terms of the medical condition of the child, which probably can be verified. And it says, like all sports, you probably will have to evolve. There was a time in which football played with leather helmets. That's no more. There was a time going back to hockey where players were allowed to play without helmets at all. That's no more. Without mouth guards, that's no more. Going back to baseball, you have players, they have to wear helmets with a protective covering down the side of the face. That wasn't always the case. Games change, and we go back to football and the issue with concussions and and that type of protocol. There's the issue with, as far as fans, how close they are to the court in basketball. We're just at a point right now where the fan experience is getting to be dangerous, not to be hyperbolic. But it's to that point, because you want to make the, sure the fans are as close to the action as possible, that they can feel literally the sweat of the players, especially in basketball, that they're so physically close and these athletes are so physically strong that invariably they're going to be situations and even altercations sometimes where the fans are now put in a physical danger. And it's never more evident than with baseball where people are routinely going to the hospital because they're hit with foul balls. As much as I love baseball and I do as much as I love the in stadium experience. And I really do. I completely understand why why now is the time baseball has to do whatever is necessary, and extend the netting. And I get it. It takes away from that in-stadium experience, and baseball doesn't want to take that away. They don't want to lessen it. When you have the netting in front of you, it doesn't necessarily obstruct your vision, but you always notice it. You're always aware of it. And if you're you're paying for those high-priced seats behind home plate or down the baseline, you don't want any type of obstruction. I get that. I understand it. But at this point, it's not worth your health and safety because we've had three stories in maybe the past three months about people getting hit and going to the hospital. I'm willing to bet that you'll have at least three more before the season is over. So what does that tell you? This is the Gary and Shannon Show. Mo Kelly in for Gary and Shannon. KFI AM 640. More stimulating talk.
4: I'm a
1: sucker for all this
3: KFI AM, 640, more stimulating talk to Gary and Shannon. Show Mo Kelly in for Gary and Shannon. Today and tomorrow, some stories which we're continuing to follow. The Torrance woman who was killed by sharks while snorkeling in Bahamas. We're going to keep you up to date on that. And also starting today, Twitter is going to add a warning to tweets by politicians and world leaders that violate its rules. Twitter until now has effectively exempted such public figures from many of its normal rules considering their messages significant enough to warrant special treatment and if you didn't know i'm host of the mo kelly show here on kfi saturdays and sundays from 6 to 8 p.m and just real quick i went to twitter i gave up my twitter and i let you know that one of the guests coming up on my saturday show is chairman of the house intelligence committee adam schiff that made greg castle who hit me on twitter very angry very 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 angry greg says Hey, Mr. Mo Kelly, obviously you're, why, Y-O-U-R, a liberal since lying Adam Schiff doesn't do any show that tests his facts, which are not the facts. What? Have Trey Gowdy, who will give you the correct facts. Are there incorrect facts? What are you talking about? This is all on video and tape on his lies, not partisans, but pretty sure you don't care, hater. How do you complain about an interview which hasn't even taken place yet? And by the way, um... I'm not a partisan, I'm registered independent, and if you listen to the Mo Kelly show, I have everyone on. That includes Tucker Carlson, that includes John McCain, Megan McCain, that includes Dana Lash, that includes Ann Coulter. It's a place where everyone is allowed to have a space and to share their views and opinions. You don't have to agree, but they're guests on the program. I don't know what to tell you. Maybe you should Google, learn something about me. Anyhow. One of the major stories going on here locally is this former USC campus clinic gynecologist, George Tyndall. Well, he was arrested on 29 felony charges laid out in a criminal filing yesterday by the L.A. County District Attorney's Office concerning allegations of 16 women involving incidents between 2009 and 2016 and carry a potential prison term of up to 53 years. KFI's own Corbin Carson
0: has the latest on that. Corbin, how are you today, and what can you tell me? Good, yes, sir. Yes, felony charges include 18 counts of sexual penetration and 11 counts of sexual battery by fraud. And there could be more. I mean, during this year-long investigation, the LAPD has presented 145 crime reports involving the defendant, and the investigation remains ongoing. So yesterday, a lot of women that have waited more than a year for something to happen in this case, I've spoken to many of them over the course of this year. There was an anniversary story we did not even a month or two ago involving women that are saying, hey, why has this guy not been arrested? But now we're seeing them see some glimmer of hope yesterday he was picked up uh, uh, Dr. George Tendel who's a former campus gynecologist at USC was arrested in front of his apartment cops say they found a small gun on him when he was arrested he was uh, he's not been charged with that he says it doesn't uh, the LAPD says it doesn't look like Tendel has a concealed weapons permit but uh, they're going to wait to see how these other court charges play out before that is, is presented. I'm told Tyndall had also complained of chest pains yesterday and was taken to a local hospital where he stays while they're, while they're waiting to book him when he is uh, medically cleared and continued, uh, continued the process. But again, you know, so far I I, I should always say that Tyndall has denied these allegations. Um, you know, the hundreds of lawsuits that have come up, up over the course of the year against Tyndall and USC, um, since then, USC has apologized. They fired some people they uh, promised to and have initiated some reform. So those things need to be said. But again, yesterday, a big shoe dropping for a lot of women that have uh, that have waited to see at least some glimmer of justice.
3: This was a year long criminal investigation, but I can't talk about this and not acknowledge the other issues that USC has been having over the course of the past two or three years with violence around the campus, uh, students who, who were murdered, and there's also the athletic um, um, institutions which have had all sorts of issues. How has USC
0: specifically responded to this latest spate of bad news? You know, they have really come forward and said, listen, the the campus is listening to these women. They've come out with several different reforms to come forward and say, hey, we were we're we're trying to listen to the student community and and not handle the situation the way it happened before.
3: Going forward, how has USC or I should say. Is there any connection between how the community is viewing USC? There was also an issue with UCLA uh, gynecologist. There was also an issue with Michigan State, Dr. Larry Nasser. Is there any connection as far as how the community is viewing these campus physicians?
0: I'm sorry, you cut out. You said
3: these campus positions. Yeah. You know it's, it's Go ahead go ahead no i was wondering if there's any connection in terms of these cases as far as being brought regarding these campus physicians i know that there's an issue at ucla and also michigan state
0: you know the the, the interim usc president wanda austin has said you know the, we hope this arrest will be a healing step for former patients in our entire university so as to people responding to this it's it's definitely a cause for concern you know this this has been a situation where Students are trying to find a way to be safe on campus and campuses are really trying to adjust in that manner. I got to tell you, yesterday when I spoke to some of these uh, uh, students that had dealt with this issue, you know, they were saying it's a huge weight off their uh, off their shoulders. Listen, listen to one student that had, had has been in this situation since the beginning.
1: I broke down at work today in tears of happiness that Tyndall is behind bars. I cannot explain how scared I felt walking around with a thought that I could run into
2: Tyndall at any moment in a grocery store, coffee shop
7: or park.
0: And I got to tell you, you know, uh, you know, cops say they put more than a dozen detectives on this case over the last year full time. And the you know we we asked the prosecution like what took so long? A lot of the women were asking what took so long, and you know, LA uh, LA District Attorney Jackie Lacey told me you know there's or excuse me told us at at, at the uh, at the press conference yesterday that. This is a complicated case. You know, there, you know, there were so many women. Investigators had to be trained in how to wait for the right time and to be patient without pushing when asked when what happened. Then all that has to be corroborated. And then one one more interesting thing I wanted to say that she pointed out is is the the difference in what this sex crimes case means when you're dealing with a gynecologist.
4: It is unusual in that it involves a doctor who is trained to. Uh, examine a woman's genitals and finding an expert witness who will withstand cross-examination and who has impeccable credentials to be our witness to say that the behavior that was exhibited uh, was not the standard practice for a gynecologist, but uh, rather uh, one that involves someone who is sexually assaulting women.
3: It makes me wonder that's the criminal aspect of all this but there will be a civil aspect to this and from what i'm reading this is only a small sampling of the people who might have been impacted and prosecutors Mm. have alleged that maybe up to 400 women may have been
0: impacted in all this do you know anything about that Right. Yeah. So she said that the 16 women that they they decided to go with presented the strongest chance to prove the case beyond a reasonable doubt. But, yes, um, the cops told us that almost 400 women have come forward that were interviewed that at least complained of some sort of incident that happened at the at the exam. That they felt was illegal. But prosecutors are saying a lot of that was, you know, beyond the statute of limitations, which is 10 years. And they had to discern which was uh, which was credible, which had the most which had the most evidence. But bigger yet, to your point. A lot of these women is it, that we we 're hearing hadn 't even spoken to police yet, so they 're hoping the hope is that more women will come forward now that these charges have been presented and as you said, hundreds of lawsuits civilly have been presented uh, in in addition to the the class action case that many lawyers are, are complaining against and saying is just a broad sweep under the rug but yes, there are so many more women that are, are i mean we 're talking about fifteen thousand more than fifteen thousand women that saw do, uh, that saw George Tendall during his 30-year career, career at USC. So, you know, it remains to be seen if more charges are coming. I would be willing to bet
3: there are more charges coming. I'm, I'm not a psychic, but I'm willing to bet <laughs> there are going to be more charges. Corbin Carson, thank you for what you do, and let's do this again sometime soon. Thank you so much, sir. This is the Gary and Shannon Show. Bo Kelly in for Gary and Shannon, KFI. More stimulating talk when we come back. We have to talk about other men who are behaving badly. Some of them you're familiar with.
4: Ooh.
3: Gary Shannon Show, Mo Kelly, FIA 640. More stimulating talk. We're still following some of these stories about what Twitter is doing, about going to add a warning to tweets, tweets by politicians and world leaders that may violate its rules. Will this lead to some politicians getting banned? suspended we shall see of course there's a story of the Torrance woman who was killed by sharks while snorkeling in the bahamas and we'll have someone weigh in on the supreme court decisions two of them which came down today regarding gerrymandering and also the census citizenship question but right now i want to talk about some of these men who are behaving badly allegedly here and around the country let me start first with Cuba Gooding Jr. The actor, Jerry Maguire actor, he was arrested earlier this month and also turned himself into police a few days after a woman called 911 who alleged that Cuba Gooding Jr. touched her breast without her consent while at a New York bar. He has since pleaded not guilty. There's video, and I've been looking at the video again and again and again, trying to see if he actually made contact contact or whether he hovered over her shirt it's really really hard to tell it's difficult to see I don't know how it's going to turn out but I think men have to be exceptionally careful in today's environment not casting dispersion on women I'm just saying it is a different time and you have to think about your actions how they may be misinterpreted how they may be interpreted how other people viewing you may interpret your actions because it only takes one, I'll say misinterpretation or unfortunate interpretation, and you're accused of a crime. I'm not making a statement of whether that's good or bad. I'm just saying that's the reality, and men need to catch up to that reality. Kevin Spacey, as you know, he's been having his own issues. He allegedly groped a a young man at a bar in, in the Boston area some years ago. Now, this same man who accused Kevin Spacey of groping him has filed a lawsuit against Kevin Spacey, and so there's a criminal and civil case which are going forward against Kevin Spacey right now, and I'm not so sure that we'll see Kevin Spacey anytime soon in an acting sense. He kind of dropped off the scene, and then he released this weird video on Twitter. I don't know if you saw it. It seemed like he was inhabiting one or some of his characters as if he was Frank Underwood seeming as if he's the criminal Frank Underwood really strange, but it doesn't only happen to certain stars or, or happen against women happens against men as well, allegedly in terms of these accusations. And here's the one which really caught my attention. Former staffer of Congressman Duncan Hunter has accused him of groping her at a 2014 party. And she's going on the record. She's saying it was me, Rory Riley Topping, who was previously a subcommittee staff director for the House Veterans Affairs Committee, told various networks that Duncan Hunter approached her at a bar after a National Republican Congressional Committee dinner. Quote, Duncan Hunter had told me that he wanted to talk to me about Agent Orange, which is an issue the committee was dealing with at the time. I politely said, great, I'll get in touch with your staff. And he kind of leaned in and said, no, I want to talk to you about it, and had reached over and pulled himself in very close with his hand on my behind. Riley Topping said that she told then-Congressman John Runyon of New Jersey, quote, this is gross, this is what happened. Duncan Hunter just grabbed my ass. I don't want to be here anymore. What do we always say? We always question a woman. Did she tell someone in the moment? Did she go to the police as opposed to going to the media? Now you have someone who seemingly wouldn't be doing this for political reasons. There wouldn't be a political motivation to accuse Duncan Hunter. She alleges that she told someone in the moment. Should we believe her? I don't know. I don't know. I wasn't there, but I will say this as a man. That stuff happens all the time. It happens all the time at just about every bar, and every time it happens, it is illegal. It's wrong. It's sexual assault. And just because it's prevalent doesn't mean that we should be any more accepting of it. And I firmly believe this is not the only incident that Duncan Hunter will be accused of, if only because of the other accusations swirling around him. And if you've never Heard me before as host of the Mo Kelly show. I have this thing called the roach theory. And it's kind of how I view life in general. And if you've ever seen a roach in your house, I'm not trying to talk about anyone's business. I'm saying if your house is clean or not, just just imagine that you've seen a roach. Should you be worried about that one? Or can you assume that there are another 20 or 30 in the walls? What about the ones that you don't know about? So let me put it another way. If a person is accused once over here, it's reasonable to suspect, reasonable, not definitive, but it's reasonable to suspect that there might be other things out there that we just don't know about. Duncan Hunter is obviously trying to fight allegations of misappropriation of funds. His wife has already pleaded guilty. And now we're finding out that there are other accusations and allegations regarding improper conduct of a different nature right now. I'm not saying that he's guilty. I'm saying that usually when you see that one thing, there are likely other things of a similar nature which are probably in the equation. This is the Gary and Shannon Show. Mo Kelly in for Gary and Shannon. KFI 8640. More stimulating talk.
0: I got to know it's a. Soul out of
3: by AM AM640, more stimulating talks to Gary and the Shannon show. Mo Kelly here. I don't think I'm ever going to make it to the Star Wars land at Disneyland. I don't think I'm going to make it. If you know anything about me, I'm all about Star Wars and nerdism and all of that. I think I've seen the original Star Wars movie at least 60 to 70 times, no exaggeration. I can recite all the lines I know all the characters. I know all the canon, as they say. But as far as Star Wars land is concerned, I don't know if I'm going to make it there. It's just too expensive. They're offering drinks for like 40 and 50 dollars a pop.
4: Did you try to get reservations when that was a, a thing? No,
3: I didn't because that it's hard for me to justify either spending that much time by way of reservations or planning for a day or waiting four hours in line or anything like that, or spending that much money. It's just hard for me to rationalize that when there are other things that I could, I would much rather spend the time and money doing a day at Disneyland for two people could easily be $500. Yeah. Quickly.
5: Yeah. Yeah. And uh, like, just, one of the things there is like a beer flight that's 75 bucks for four, for four little beers and a little, rancor tooth
3: yeah i would much rather go to rite aid and get a four pack of beer yeah. for like eight dollars yeah and i don't even drink beer but i would much rather do it that way yeah i don't i don't know how people can rationalize it now my sister she has a lot of friends in the city of los angeles because she does some stuff from the city of los angeles so she had a private tour of star wars land a few weeks ago and had the dirty nerve to send me pictures to rub it in She says, guess where I'm at? I don't have to guess. There's a big-ass sign saying Star Wars. I mean, you just want to gloat or something? Just say that. Just say, can I gloat? I would rather she say that, but she wanted to start off with the question. Guess where I'm at? In other words, where I'm at, and you're not, and you're probably not going to be anytime soon because you're cheap like that.
2: Yeah, that's the way it is. I was like, guess where you can go. Right. Go straight to.
3: Anyhow, I love my sister. Happy belated birthday. You're old. But anyhow, but I am enjoying the quasi bad news coming out of Star Wars land where people are stealing souvenirs, items which are not bolted down, and anything which you think would have a nominal value. They're stealing it, and they're reselling it on eBay, and that's pretty classy. They're stealing coasters and reselling them for like ten dollars on eBay. But I, I do have, I do have an admission to make. I was that guy, and I don't think they have these places anymore. Do you remember like Round Table Pizza? Do you have the, those pizza parlors where you go in and actually sit down? Yeah. I mean, it used, to, they don't have many of them anymore. They just kind of like order and and take out. But it used to be at these pizza places you'd go in and sit down, and they'd have these napkin holders. I had like 12 of those from various restaurants. You still have them? No. And and the statute of limitations has expired. So, uh-huh. you know, get out of my life. I'm just saying <laughs> I did that a long time ago. So I understand the mentality of someone wanting a specialty item.
5: My brother went through a phase of uh, the little like triangle numbers. Table oh, yeah. Numbers.
3: Like a Carl's he, Jr. Oh, oh, I had like a bunch of those as well. He
5: liked those.
3: I had. Yes. I At, at one point, I was trying to line up sequentially as many numbers as i could
5: get yeah he was it was the funniest one was i don't know i was nine he was 19 and we were sitting in a restaurant and they never took the number and i'm still sitting in the booth and he was about to leave and he looked at me and just made eye contact and i just slid the number across the table to him and my mom was like no no you are not getting your little brother in on this no that is you then you leave him out (laughs) Cause I was in like fourth grade.
3: (laughs) You you started early. See, I was in my twenties and I knew better. There was one time I went to a pizza place and I was feeling myself and I decided to take more than one. I took two. And I guess the manager or someone saw me, this is the true story. (laughs) Followed me out to the car. And I had one in, in front of me, holding on my, in front of my chest and one behind me. He only saw the one behind me. And he says, sir, sir, sir. You, uh, I'll have to take that from you, and so I didn't even turn around. I just handed him the one behind me. Didn't even (laughs) no eye contact. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. just take it. Just go. Fine. Leave me alone. Fine. And then I still got away with one. All of you look at me with such judgmental eyes. I mean, I mean, were they cool napkin holders? What what was? uh... Is there such a thing as a cool napkin (laughs) holder from a pizza place? (laughs) Come on, (laughs) dude. It's it's the idea, it's the novelty because right. I thought it'd be cool in a in a nostalgia sense where hey I' girl want to come over to my house with a right. napkin holder. Right, I think you're have a girl cool. who's like, oh my gosh, you got that a round table pizza or pizza Oh, that's so funny because cause I'd have napkins and we'd be eating and they'd come from the napkin holder. It's like, see, it's it's cool, isn't it? It's it's pretty pretty cool. Cool. this one's spring loaded, <laughs> yes. <laughs> She said you actually took that. I said, "Yes, I did." It's like, "Oh." <laughs> it wasn't as cool as I thought it was.
2: On behalf of women <laughs> everywhere, it's definitely not as cool as you thought it was. Well, I mean, this was the That's- 90s. I mean, maybe it'll we'll come back in style. Was it neon?
3: No. It was it was solid. It was built. It was it was a uh, black metal and it had the spring-loaded napkins. The golden age of American cool. engineering is what it was. Yes, yeah, so you could <sighs> you could pump in like maybe 100 napkins, push them in. And then you take out one or two or ten. Would Would you refill it when it ran out? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, That was back when I was eating a lot of pizza. Yeah. Yeah. Good times, I tell you. Good times.
2: (laughs) Simpler times.
3: Well, also, in my early 20s, I didn't have much money. So certain things, like I would take toilet paper from the job, napkins from pizza places, all the things that you didn't really want to spend money on. Um, Hand detergent from or soap from the job, that kind of thing stuff that you can save money on yeah no i get that no one never, ever. That. am i the only one who did that oh come on i'm the only thing, i still live at home
5: it? so i don't have to maybe
3: i'll start That's a you just gave me a good idea you have never taken like some hand sanitizer from the job because you didn't want to pay for it um, not this job of course oh,
2: right i would never <laughs> actually i take ibuprofen sometimes if i i'll take like two little three little packets from here
3: we have a great medicine cabinet let Dude, me tell it is, you
2: yeah i don't it have is great. yeah antiseptic like eye drops yeah sometimes that have pain them. away too everything. is really good yeah. you got a
4: headache the what that pain away too that oh, little is? one yeah if you got a headache it knocks it out
3: i've tried just about everything in that medicine cabinet just because it's free
2: right right What is this, this free, free thing oh feel this like? is for
3: colds oh this is for this is for cramps i don't need that <laughs> but i might try it sometime they have uh, all
5: sorts of cramps because they have a sideache. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. Right. A
3: cramp is a cramp. Is I a cramp. ran
5: down here. So
1: <laughs>
3: nasal decongestant, the eye drops, everything. It's a cupboard. Yeah. It's I feel shocked. like I'm, I'm 25 again. And I just They have
1: like cool medical masks
5: in there, too. Like if uh, you want to. Yeah. Contagious diseases. Yeah. Really one of cool those. Yeah. We can do
2: the well... show. I'll put the medical mask on. I'll, and and I'll just... around your ears. Charlie Brown's yeah. teacher. None of you
3: have ever thought about going shopping. In that medicine cabinet?
2: I Uh, took, I had an ibuprofen that I took yesterday at home, but that I had put in my purse. Oh, that's different. I I know. Well, that's what what I'm just saying.
5: I've grabbed like a handful of cough drops on a bad day, but that's about it. Yeah, I think I've done that. That's
3: about as far as I've gone. Yeah. And I'll use some medicine every now and then. What they really need, though, is like deodorant. That would be good. I don't want like
5: deodorants that might get put back. No,
3: not get put back. All of it is sealed. (laughs) Just like
4: a pack in there? That would be great, Yeah, actually. just a yeah. small
3: one because that would be something that I think most adults... Those would be gone most adults.
4: two
0: days.
3: Yes. Have you ever gone to work and realized, oh, shoot.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: No. That has never happened to you? I have anymore. deodorants in my car. I have in my yes! purse. I have deodorants yes! everywhere. do melt in
0: your car.
4: Yeah, watch out.
2: Yeah, well, not yet. You've
4: never forgotten to wear deodorant? Um, or you just don't wear deodorant.
0: Be I clear. think maybe
5: I think it's happened to me once in my life that I can remember that I forgot. Wow.
3: Oh. oh. Now, see, I have this long commute, so... When I get in the car and I'm OCD, I have to f- specifically remember putting it on or specifically remember closing the garage door or specifically remember locking the front door or my mind will just be upset and I'll be, be confused. Sometimes I'll have to turn around on the freeway to go back by the house to make sure the garage has been put down. I'm being serious. That's yeah. just how I make I sure am. you lock the
4: front door. You- yes. Yeah, I do that. Too.
3: Yes. See, someone who's real and, and normal like me. Yeah. Another part of that is putting on deodorant. And if I don't physically remember or can't feel that residue in the armpit, it's like I will stop at the nearest store and buy some. Now I finally figured out I'll just have some at work. Make it real easy. But wow. it took me like 45 years to figure that out, that I could have deodorant in two places. <laughs> That's a true story. Don't laugh at me.
2: Don't buy vegan deodorant. It, like, works for Did I didn't know it was edible. 30 minutes. I was like, who stinks? Wait, oh, it's you out. because you use vegan. I'm
3: out. I thought vegan had to do with, like, food.
2: No, it's everything.
3: What animal is in a deodorant?
2: I have no idea. They might product test it. I have no idea either, but I bought it, and it Man, this work. turtle
3: stinks. Let's see if this deodorant <laughs> helps. I understand you're talking about a leather jacket, but, I mean, deodorant?
2: Guys, it's SoCal. Just live the lifestyle.
3: Look, my wife is vegan. I understand the lifestyle, but she's never, ever mentioned deodorant. Good, because it doesn't work. So that was you, I (laughs) smell. Tell everyone what you're wearing.
2: What do you mean? Dove?
3: No, as in clothes. What are you wearing?
2: Like a shirt.
3: No, you're not wearing just a shirt. Explain.
2: A a shirt? A sleeveless shirt?
3: Sleeveless shirt, yes. Your arms are out.
2: Yeah. It's not me. I didn't use it today.
3: Are you sure?
2: I'm so sure. I visibly remember. (laughs) Raise your hand. Confidence sure, secure. Sure. Do you remember those commercials? I
3: do. Okay. I know Blake was looking at be like, what are you talking about? It was a sure deodorant commercial.
5: Yeah, no, I it got where you're going. I had never seen the commercial. Oh,
2: my God. Unsure, unsure, I unsure. What.
5: I imagine when they were on, I wasn't really the demo. Uh, uh, yeah. When did you start wearing deodorant? How many years ago? What age? I don't know, probably sixth
3: grade. That's about right I was about maybe 11 years old. Yeah. So that was I think they had 16 commercials. years ago? Yeah, they probably had sure commercials back then. Uh. Were they on, like, Cartoon Network? They were on everywhere. Uh. They, I don't think Cartoon Network. Wow, I was 11.
2: You Nickelodeon.
3: You didn't watch, like, regular broadcast television? I watched, like, sports and cartoons. Blake, the more I learn about you, the less I understand about you. <laughs> yeah. This is the Gary and Shannon Show. Mo Kelly in for Gary and Shannon. KFI M640. I
4: like that show. Gary
3: and Shannon show. Okay, by 8620, more stimulating talk from Mo Kelly in for Gary and Shannon, both today and tomorrow. Let's have some fun. Just want to let you know some other stories which we're watching. FAA pilots have found a new flaw with the Boeing 737 MAX. I said a new flaw. In addition to the other really, really bad flaw. And Twitter is going to add some warnings to tweets by politicians and world leaders that may violate its rules. Does this mean that Donald Trump might get banned one day? And I'm not trying to be funny. I'm being serious. That's a distinct possibility if they're paving the way to moderate and also delete posts of world leaders. Also, before the break, actually earlier in the program, I was discussing men who were behaving badly. And I didn't have time to get to a particular story, which is of local interest. And I wanted to involve Tessa Barrera as someone to be able to give me some perspective. Now, four women, including an Orange County supervisor, have accused Assemblyman William, I think he pronounces it, Bro, B-R-O-U-G-H, of Dana Point, of unwanted touching and other misconduct. The allegations came to light last week when Orange County Supervisor Lisa Bartlett spoke out against an endorsement for Bro at an Orange County Republican Party meeting and claimed she had a negative encounter with the lawmaker. Three other women who spoke to the L.A. Times on condition of anonymity, citing fear of reprisal, have also alleged that this politician made unwanted advances toward them. Let me stop right there. Those are the general, general aspects of the story. This guy who's married denies the claims, calling them a coordinated effort of unsubstantiated allegations. Their accounts are night and day. In other words, there's what the women are alleging, and there's what this man is alleging and disputing. Tessa Barrera, you've had a long career in media and dealing in corporate environments, and I suspect this is not a statement about You, as far as looks, is just being a woman in today's world. I suspect that you've probably been approached at some point at some job along the way. Have you not?
2: Well, I wouldn't call it approach. I would call it very subtle, the stuff that I've actually experienced. And it's so subtle to the point where it makes you go, wait, did that just happen?
3: In terms of like hitting on you or something which was untoward. Or inappropriate.
2: No, something that was inappropriate. Like like um, maybe hand on like my leg at, at an anchor desk oh, yeah, that'll, or that'll, hang that'll on do my it. shoulder. And I'm like, you know, and it's it, it's just so unexpected. And it's one of those things where I'm not going to say, stop the show, everyone. Stop the newscast. I have been touched on the – you know what I mean? It's one of those things where it's like I got to do my job. I got to be in my zone. doesn't matter.
3: Clearly in this story, these women are alleging something which does stop the show, which is – worse in nature which is more egregious in nature the reason i bring you in is far too often we only hear about it from a male perspective as far as things that women may allege or accuse them of but we don't necessarily hear from women as far as what they deal with on a day-to-day basis what have you seen beyond what you've experienced
2: uh beyond what i've seen i think i think it's weird because i've most of my background is in sports So I think it's one of those things where, if anything, I'll get snubbed more than anything. Basically like a you-don't-belong-here sort of feeling. But I mean, that's just like, again. You have to have this vision. Like I gotta get. I have a deadline, no matter what. But I do want to mention that I think it's funny because you and I, I, you know, I'm a, a fan of yours as well as a coworker, and I'm a hugger. Like I'll run up to some of my coworkers, Bill Handel, who actually hates hugs. I'm like, give me a hug, Bill, or you. I'm like, can I give you a hug? Which is like, and I feel like men are kind of just like the yeah. professional ones are like, uh, it, it, yeah, give me that little side hug. Thing going on. So I, I want to say I've experienced both on both sides, but I've never really seen, I feel like the guys who do it are so sneaky about it that it, it's not one of those things that you, you. I've actually witnessed myself. Like I said, the hand on a leg or hand, whatever, I've experienced that. And it was by the main anchor, you know, and what what are you going to do?
3: Yeah. I'm always very self-aware, especially now because I don't want something to be misinterpreted not even necessarily let's say for example we were to hug in the hallway Mm -hmm. i don't necessarily mean you misinterpreting it someone could view it and misinterpret it or take it another way right so i'm very hypersensitive to that in general but these types of situations going back to the orange county uh um, assemblyman there's no in between either it happened or it didn't you have four people saying he was doing stuff which was really really beyond the pale And the guy saying this is just a political attack. It's like it's got to be one or the other. We're not talking about these subtleties or these, you know, vague aspects of of what's in between.
2: I think what really makes the case strong, too, is when there's obviously more than one woman, uh, you know, that have come forward. There's four. It's like, oh, you two. Oh, okay, me too. Obviously, me too thing. But I I think the fact that there are four women saying it, it's like, okay, that that thickens the plot and that Mm -hmm. validates her story. You
3: know, threefold, fourfold. And there's also the discussion before we go to break about whether you should or could convict someone in the court of public opinion. And I'm a firm believer. Look, I'm allowed to come to my own conclusions. I don't need you to tell me that I have to wait until someone is convicted of something before I can feel a certain way. Right. You know, that's for the legal system to decide. Who knows? You might have a a civil settlement and we'll never know the specifics. Does that mean I can't come to some conclusion or some feeling? Hey, I'm I think everyone is allowed to come to any conclusion that they want. And people want to say they're innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Yes. If they're charged with a crime and they're actually a defendant and then they're read those jury instructions. That does not apply to what I think about you as a person. O.J. Simpson getting off for murder. And he's not seen in the eyes of the law as a murderer does not mean that I'm not allowed to come to some conclusion or feeling about what happened during that trial or George Zimmerman or Casey Anthony or Robert Blake or whomever. Right. One has nothing to do with the other.
2: And I don't need someone else to do their private investigation either, you know, where it's like, oh, we're going to privately investigate. It's like, well, it's obvious already what's <laughs> going <laughs> on. Yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah. If they're four, they're probably seven. Yeah. Yeah. This is the Gary and Shannon Show. Mo Kelly in for Gary and Shannon. We'll find out what's trend- trending in just a moment. KFI Am640, more stimulating talk. KFI Am640, more stimulating talk. It's the Gary and Shannon Show. i Mo Kelly in for Gary and Shannon. Both today and tomorrow, you may not be familiar with me. I'm the host of the Mo Kelly Show, which is heard Saturdays and Sundays here on KFI. From 6 to 8 p.m., you can find out more about me at Mr. Mo Kelly on Twitter and Instagram. Speaking of Twitter, one of the stories in which we're following Twitter is going to add a wrinkle, possibly, which is going to affect politicians, including the president. If they run afoul of Twitter's rules as far as postings, they may be subject to either a a marking or some sort of listing or even suspension. We'll find out more. We're going to follow that story. And of course, the first round of Democratic debates was last night, we'll have a recap on that and also preview tonight. But let's also find out what's happening. Time for what's happening.
2: Whoa, stop, stop, stop.
3: Of course, the Supreme Court handed down two decisions today and it's making nobody happy in their totality. Possibly you like one, hate the other, or you like the other and hate the other one. The Supreme Court has blocked a citizenship question from being added to the 2020 census for the time being, which is very important. It's only for the time being. It can be revisited later on. But it is a major setback for the Trump administration, which was pushing for this question to be added. And just in case you didn't understand the controversy, it was centering around whether the administration can ask all recipients a citizenship question On the 2020 census form, and it would have been for the first time since maybe 1950. And if you don't know, the census is instrumental in determining how many representatives that we have, how many uh, districts that we have, which is based on total population. That has a political impact all the way around. It was a 5-4 decision. Chief Justice John Roberts wrote the majority decision and concluded that there was sufficient reason for concern about why the Commerce Department wanted to add the question, wondering about the political implications, not necessarily the the real need for it. But they will revisit it later with better reasoning, if I'm reading this correctly. And you might have heard Tessa Barrera talk about the new flaw, which has been found with the Boeing 737 Max. The Boeing 737 has been grounded since those two fatal crashes. And if you knew, if you've been following the story, it allegedly was due to a computer or software issue. Now these FAA pilots, as they were testing it before they were putting these planes back into service, found another flaw and it's another computer and software related issue. The new flaw is, Trace to how data is being processed by the flight computer affected pilots' abilities to quickly and easily follow the required recovery procedures for the runaway stabilizer. In other words, it's easier to lose control of the aircraft and it's harder, more difficult to regain control of the aircraft, not unlike the previous problem which led, or at least they feel, led to those two plane crashes. And i got to ask the obvious question. At this point, why don't you just give up on that plane? Or why don't you give up on that computer system and software, which is more directly related to the issue? I know the obvious issue is money because you want to sell more planes. And if you have a new plane, you want to sell those planes. And since they've already been built, you don't want to eat that cost. Plane crashes aside. I get that. But it's more rhetorical in nature. Why would you not do that if only out of self-preservation of the businesses at this point? Because one more incident would have catastrophic Uh, consequences, no pun intended, for Boeing. You would think that the right thing to do would be just to move on from that aircraft altogether. And in more local news, ex-USC women's soccer coach and the Northern California bookkeeper both plead guilty in that college admission scam. The former USC soccer coach, as you might've heard in my discussion with Corbin Carson about the USC gynecologist I was alluding to how there was nothing but bad news for USC, all sorts of issues as far as how the university was being perceived given the issues of criminality, deaths around the university, issues with the athletic department, all those things, nothing but bad news. And this was just another example of that. The former USC soccer coach and an accountant for the consultant at the center of the college admissions bribery scheme have both pleaded guilty and this seems to be the way to go from what I understand the feds have all the information all the financial transactions all the paperwork they follow the money there's really no way out of this and the only way that you can get some sort of relief is to plead guilty and hopefully you can get a lighter sentence there was one person who was sentenced to a day in prison and granted time served so it doesn't seem as if anyone who does plead guilty will be doing any hard time. And if you've heard me any other time in which I sat in for Gary and Shannon or maybe Tim Conway Jr., I make it very clear that I'm not uh, a thrill seeker. I'm not the guy who's going to jump out of a plane. I'm not the guy who's going to go snorkeling. I'm not going to do anything which I think I may inadvertently put myself in danger. And I thought about all of that the moment I saw this very uh, sad story About this young woman from Torrance, not far from where I live, who was unfortunately attacked and killed by three sharks while snorkeling in the Bahamas. I've been to the Bahamas. I love the Bahamas. I love just being on the beach in the Bahamas, but I never had any desire to go snorkeling. And if you don't know, that is something which is highly promoted when you go on cruises or when you go on excursions. They offer these snorkeling tours or excursions. And I've never had any desire to be among aquatic life like that for that reason. Not that there was a high likelihood of being attacked by a shark, but because there was a possibility of being attacked by a shark. I'm that guy. I don't want anything to touch me when I'm in the water. Not fish, not seaweed, not dirt, not anything which might move. Because I'm not a great swimmer. I'm a decent swimmer, but I'm not a great swimmer. And I would rather be in a pool in which I know nothing's going to touch me. But it's it's a sad story, and we're going to keep following that. I know Tessa Pereira has been reporting on that about the young lady. And I don't know of the extenuating circumstances whether there were other people who witnessed it or also were in danger or whether this was the first time that it happened. But that is what I'm concerned about, whether any other similar Incidents.
2: Well, I know that her parents actually saw her. They were actually trying to yell at her, but she, of course, was underwater. And they say,
3: "Oh, they could see the sh- yeah, sharks they, from they saw the it happen." Oh.
2: Yeah, they, they saw the whole thing happen, and they actually took her to the hospital where she later died. Her injuries were too severe. So, um, I'm trying to find out what species of shark or what right. what happened. But the, her dad said it's a shame because she actually was just a pure animal lover.
3: That is a sad story, and as more information comes in, we'll be sure to pass it on to you. This is the Gary and Shannon Show. Mo Kelly in for Gary and Shannon. KFI, more stimulating talk. This is the Gary and Shannon Show. Mo Kelly in for and KFI, more stimulating talk. Some of the stories that we're watching, just want to give you a heads up. At the bottom of the hour, we'll review the first round of Democratic debates who won, who lost? will talk to ABC News, Aaron Katursky. And at the top of the hour, something else we're watching, obviously the Supreme Court decisions, controversial according to some. What do they mean? What will this mean going forward for the president and his desire to input a citizenship question in the census? We'll also be speaking to ABC News on that at the top of the hour. I don't know about you, once we switch gears, I'm very surprised how certain things old are new again. I understand hairstyles. I understand clothing styles. I understand even cars. It's cyclical in nature. Bell bottoms were really popular in the 70s, and I think they got popular again for a moment at the turn of the century. Women will wear a bob hairstyle like maybe in the 90s and it's coming back again. You'll see all sort of hip-hugger jeans or different accoutrements when it comes to clothes. And all of a sudden, you have guys who are wearing high-top fades now. When I used to wear one back in college, back in the late 1980s, everything old is new again, it seems. But I did not know, I had no idea, it also applied to drugs. We've heard about the increase in use of heroin, how that has made a comeback. But that's not the only drug which has come full circle as far as popularity. But with a twist, cocaine is now back and bigger than ever, according to statistics regarding use. And not only that, it's a younger demographic. And because of technology and marketing, not only is it more prevalent, it's more accessible and available in both the European market And the American market, it's strange because it's not that it's more legal, but it is more accessible in many ways because people can find it more easily. It is being grown with the coca plants down in Central America more than ever before. But because of science and technology, they've also refined how it can be marketed, sold and distributed to more people around the globe. That's how technology has changed both the this illicit trade industry and also the the above-ground trade industry, and people have found their way back to cocaine. I didn't think that cocaine was going to be a drug which was going to come back in the same way that it was before. I thought it would be more the synthetic designer drugs, which were almost like cocaine or a molecule off, where they'd be able to sell it, but it would be just as impactful. I'm talking about the original cocaine. In fact, it is so prevalent according to statistics that it is not even being cut with other substances. It is more pure at this point. And I am a person, I've never used drugs. Never. I think I've had maybe at most a little bit of marijuana. No exaggeration. I tried marijuana, I think, when I was 17 or 18, and, and that pretty much was it. I, oh, that's I, right. I did have one edible cookie. That's it. I've never done any ecstasy. I've never tried any um, cocaine. I've had Vicodin for two different eye surgeries, and they did nothing for me, so I never had any fear of being hooked to any type of of narcotic in, in that way. I've just never had any inclination. Now, if you don't know, I used to work in the music industry and drugs were everywhere. It was very prevalent. If I wanted to start using cocaine, it would have been very easy to because it was just that prevalent and accessible. That was just a function of working in entertainment more generally. It was the drug of choice, especially back in the uh, late eighties, early nineties. But I didn't expect that it would come back again or that it would be more available and accessible to this different generation And these are some of the unintended consequences of technology where you have something which was a scourge and cocaine in many ways led to the crack epidemic of the 1980s. And now it's coming back full circle, not a hairstyle, not a clothing style, but a drug style. And because of technology in in large part from the creation to the marketing to even the distribution. And it blows me away that younger people are finding it to be more affordable, more accessible, and even more reasonable to use, as if we don't have any fear of these drugs, despite what my generation supposedly learned from the Just Say No campaign of the late 1980s, despite what we've seen regarding the opioid epidemic and how many people are dying on a daily basis, we still are running to these drugs. I'm not exactly sure why, but technology has made it very clear that they're not going anywhere. Now, for some people, they think, well, we need to go like Amsterdam did. Just legalize everything and let it take care of itself. I'm a person. I voted against uh, the recreational use legalization of marijuana here in California. I think that is a, a... starting point to something that will not bring anything good to our state. I never supported it and I never will. And it disheartens me when I see what is going on with cocaine, if only because I think that is going to be more of the same and it will come back around where we'll find some way to market it better, to distribute it better, to create it in a more finely uh, produced way and more young people will be harmed and killed because of it. Because we didn't learn our lesson 30 years ago when we could have. This is the Gary and Shannon Show. Mo Kelly in for Gary and Shannon. KFIA 640. More stimulating lady talk. <laughs> Gary and Shannon Show. Mo in for Gary and Shannon. KFI Am640. More stimulating talk of you. Just tuning in. Some of the big stories that we're following. Of course, the Supreme Court decisions, two of them, not making a lot of people happy. One having to do with the census question of citizenship. The other having to do with policing, gerrymandering. What is going to happen with that? Well, we will have all that and more at the top of the hour. Go in-depth with that and we'll talk to ABC News, and also we're following what happened last night and what's going to happen tonight with these Democratic debates. And I say it's the second audition tonight to get a job in the swamp, which means we got to go to Swamp Watch.
1: Drain the swamp. We're going to drain the swamp of Washington. We're going to have fun doing it. We're all doing it together. Drain the
2: swamp. Drain. The swamp. drain the
3: a last night, we had the first 10 contestants. And I said at the beginning of the program, you can't necessarily win the nomination, but you sure as hell can lose the nomination in one debate. And for me, the metrics of winning and losing are real simple. Are you better off today than you were last night? Are you gaining more donations? Do you have more donors? Are you rising in the opinion polls? It doesn't matter if you answered every question with BS. It doesn't matter if you answered every question in Spanish as opposed to English. If you're in a better position today after the debate than before, then you're one of the winners. And you can kind of look at the results and find that out. And if you didn't, you're one of the losers. Or if you lost ground or if you lost position. I don't think Beto O'Rourke has any chance of really going any further at this point. I might be wrong. I thought last night he embarrassed himself. He seemed unprepared. He seemed unsure. There were moments where he wouldn't even make eye contact with other candidates who were challenging him directly. He seemed as if he was so uncomfortable that he had been exposed and people were finding out. And he may have been none of those things. But the way he stood up there, he did not stand as if he was a potential candidate for president of the United States. He seemed like he got an invitation to the wrong party or he showed up at the wrong location. He had this look and I know we've all been there. Have you ever taken an exam after cramming all night and you're not really sure about how well you're going to do and you go into Uh, The exam, you're trying to remember all the things that you were cramming for just hours beforehand. And you keep saying these things over and over in your head. Don't forget this. Don't forget that. Okay, two plus two is four. Three times two is six. Four divided by two is two. And you could see him thinking not exactly existing in the moment. And he would always answer every question with an anecdote. I believe Beto O'Rourke did the most to damage or even end his potential candidacy for president. But that's just me joining me on the line right now is Aaron Katursky, ABC news correspondent who's in Miami and who'll be able to watch all of this firsthand. Aaron, tell me, what did you see last night and what was the general takeaway?
1: Uh, well, I, I, think the takeaway was, I don't know, it was rather gentle uh, and, and there were no personal attacks. The debate was framed in, in, in terms of policy and tone. If anything, it really seemed to set the course for the Democratic debate going forward, which is what party is most appropriate to take on Donald Trump? Is it the centrist party of of Tim Ryan and Amy Klobuchar and and John Delaney, who called for real solutions, not impossible plans? Or is it the the tug to the left from from Elizabeth Warren and and Bill de Blasio, who said that the Democrats should be the party of of free college, free health care, Uh, and and the like. And I I think that split was evident on the debate stage uh, and and will be evident again tonight.
3: If last night was the undercard, I would say tonight is the main event when you have Vice President Joe Biden, you have Senator Kamala Harris, you have Senator Bernie Sanders and Mayor Pete Buttigieg. People are really looking for whether they're going to attack one another or they're going to take their message and attacks to the president. Do you get any sense that this night is going to be more consequential for the party and prospective uh, nominee than last night? I
1: I think it has that potential because last night, Joe Biden's name didn't come up once. I mean, and it surprised even his campaign sent surrogates to the spin room to, to, to make sure that no damage was done from any, you know, uh, any jabs that were thrown. But um, in the end, it was a rather, you know, as I say, gentle evening, so now uh, Joe Biden, not roughed up at all uh, uh, from his frontrunner status, um, is is going to be front and center on tonight's debate stage, right there with Bernie Sanders two scrappy old political veterans um, who are you know out to show why they're the better choice.
3: Is there any sense from what you've heard of the candidate who is primed to make a big leap? We know that Joe Biden, with the exception of last night, wasn't receiving a lot of good news. He was fighting off a lot of attacks, and he had to answer for his record. Senator Kamala Harris uh, reportedly had to reset her campaign. We know Mayor Pete has had some issues with his relationships with the African-American community going back to South Bend and some incidents. Who do you think or who have you heard is primed to gain the most tonight, potentially?
1: Well, I, I think... Um, it, it's different for different candidates. Pete Buttigieg had a rough week uh, dealing with a, a police-involved shooting in, in his hometown of South Bend and uh, appeared at times to struggle with his response to an angered community. Uh, uh, as you say, Kamala Harris it, it still seems full of promise, but, you know, where's the where's the moment that, that she's going to, to prove that she can actually do this? Um, you know, and, and then for, for Joe Biden, for Bernie Sanders, it's... Uh, reinvigorating their own campaigns biden as you say has had to answer for a lot in his record and i know that uh, he has spent the last couple of days going over his record to make sure he can clarify uh you know points where his views may have evolved what he said in the past versus what he believes now Uh, because i i I think the 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 focus is clearly on him when the debate gets started
3: i expect in the way that mayor bill de blasio last night took a uh, uh, I have nothing to lose type of stance and started interrupting candidates and started really taking it to candidates. I would expect the same from Marianne Williamson and maybe Andrew Yang to actually put themselves in the spotlight and put themselves in a direct juxtaposition with one of the more major candidates. Do you get the sense that there are going to be more fireworks, at least trying to be initiated from the lesser known?
1: You know, Andrew Yang was it was funny he said uh, on twitter that he had to learn spanish in the next 24 hours after uh, <laughs> that, that became uh, you know evident on stage but but he was also telling us that tonight he has nothing to lose he said no one's going to throw a punch at the guy who's like sixth in the race and standing on the fringe of the stage so he um, he he seems to to believe that there's nothing to lose and everything to gain and let's see what he tries to do. You know, there, there were two approaches to, that the candidates took last night. Um, uh, Julian Castro uh, stressed his policy prowess, and I think did make an impression when he talked about decriminalizing border crossings. When he spoke eloquently about the, the, that horrible photograph of the migrant father and, and daughter found dead on the Rio Grande, that he said in his words should piss us all off. Um, and and other candidates preferred to stress parts of their backstory. Cory Booker talked about. Living on a street where seven people had been shot recently, Amy Klobuchar stressed her Midwestern roots and, and used the rather unfortunate uh, "all foam, no beer" uh, kind of, you know, uh, euphemism or whatever. I that and was
3: funny. That, that didn't go over well.
1: You, I don't know. It elicited a groan in here, but uh, oh, you know, okay. I, I guess it's. Uh, um it seemed contrived but you know maybe it was fine uh, but i but i think it also shows you know she was trying to connect with, with people to give a sense of where she comes from even john delaney who's a you know a fairly wealthy guy tried to stress his more humble roots and talked about his father and it's these kinds of personal stories that that often will make an impression with voters now whether that's a lasting impression um let's see but uh but they clearly came with a mission to, to sell not only their policies, but their stories. And that's and that, what what's always been missing with someone, say, like Hillary Clinton, who really never connected on a personal level with voters. Mm-hmm. There was no question about her competence to, to, to Democratic voters. But uh, to, to the American people, there was never really a, a, a reason to, to empathize or, or, or to connect on any you know, visceral level.
3: Aaron Koterski, I'm over, but I want to leave you with this one question. You mentioned Andrew Yang and joking about having to learn Spanish. We're in Miami for this debate. Uh, Only Julian Castro made any mention to Puerto Rico. Telemundo is televising this debate. How much impact is either Spanish or directly addressing those types of issues? How much is that actually moving the meter from where you sit?
1: You know, I, I think it matters now, and it's more than a gimmick. Uh, it's almost a necessity to, to connect in some way with uh, a, a significant part uh, of the Democratic electorate. And so I, I, I don't think it was an accident. Uh, you could even see when Beto O'Rourke was the first on the stage to speak in Spanish, there was a, a, a moment where Cory Booker was like, oh, he got it before me. you know, And, and you could kind of see it mm-hmm. on his face um, that, that the candidates are trying to appeal to you know uh, the diversity that's reflected on on the debate stage, and and you know, they have some pieces, but not all, uh, and and so they're trying in any way they can to show that not only do they they understand and can can empathize, but but also have you know a meaningful uh, way to reach out.
3: ABC News correspondent Aaron Kotersky is in Miami, and he'll be there for the second of two debates. Amongst Democratic candidates, Aaron, thank you for what you do, and and hopefully there will be
1: some more fireworks tonight. I think it has the potential. I think uh, let's see what happens. Maybe a little, uh, maybe a bit more combative tonight.
3: Well, hopefully we'll get to talk again tomorrow, and we can re- recap what happened.
1: Look forward to it. See you later. This is the
3: Gary and Shannon Show. Mo Kelly in for Gary and Shannon. KFI AM six
4: forty. Gary and Shannon Show. Mo Kelly.
3: It's a more stimulating talk. And let me just put a period on our discussion about the debates. Both last night and tonight, got a few tweets at Mr. Mo Kelly, M-R-M-O-K-E-L-L-Y, singing the praises of Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard, saying she needed to get more credit for her performance last night. I thought she was okay on military issues. That's her strong suit. But as far as the other questions which were asked of her, wasn't too much there was pretty thin now she did do something that i think was indicative of being well prepared for the debate whenever you see a candidate look directly into the main camera and talk to the american people that is usually much more effective than just speaking to the moderator asking the question because you're bringing the audience in and to her credit congresswoman gabbard did exactly that but as far as the content of her message I wasn't exactly wowed, and I don't suspect, and if I'm wrong, uh, the numbers will bear it out if I'm wrong. I don't suspect that she improved her standing. I don't suspect that, sure, her polling is going to increase greatly or her donations are donors because ultimately that's what this is about. It's not a math test where if you score a certain grade, you get something definitively. It is an ugly contest, not a beauty contest. We pick these candidates apart. And we look at all their flaws, and the people who have the least amount of flaws on that given occasion will get rewarded somehow and be able to advance or or uh, bolster their candidacy. But working in entertainment, I always think about what goes on behind the scenes. I've worked in a television production truck. I've worked on TV shows. I've worked on, obviously, radio shows. And there are times when you have tech difficulties. There are times when things happen Outside of your control, and we all, as professionals in this business, to a certain degree, can empathize when there is a tech issue, because we've all been there. Many times you don't see it. Many times you don't hear it. There are times we're trying to play audio and the audio won't fire, or we're trying to go to a commercial and the commercials won't play. Or if Tessa Barrero is trying to do a news read, she's trying to play audio, it won't play. Or there's a time when we had our microphone sticking where we couldn't turn it on; the button wasn't working. It happens to everybody. But if you're in charge of the sound or audio for the debate, which is being broadcast on MSNBC, NBC, Telemundo, online even, and you cannot get the microphones working, and so you have to go to an extra commercial break and you're already pressed for time, there's a good chance that that person got fired or people responsible. You just can't have Those types of problems. And it may not have been his or her fault or their fault. But from the way it sounded last night, it sounded like someone wasn't paying attention because everyone watching was like, You don't hear that? You don't hear the mics from the wrong people? You have the mics on the audience, but not the people on the
4: stage? Here's what I mean. Many of you are calling for a restoration of an assault weapons ban. But even if implemented, there will still be hundreds of millions of guns in this country. Should there be a role for the hear- federal government? Yeah, the mics are on. I- uh, Everybody's mics are on. I, have, I think we have a... I heard that, too. That's okay. I think we had a little mic issue in the back. Control room, we've got... Concert. We have the... I think audio. we heard... Yeah, we have the audience audio. <laughs> All right. So the question is simply this. We're, ta- we're from... I apologize. You guys didn't get to hear this. Uh, the first part of the question. Obviously, we're not far from Parkland, Florida. Uh, gun activism has become uh, a big part of high school life up yep. there in Broward County. Many of you are calling for tighter gun restrictions. Some of you are calling for the restoration of the assault weapons ban. But even if it's put in place, there's still going to be perhaps hundreds of millions of guns still on the streets. Is there a role for the federal government in order to play in order to get these guns off the streets? <laughs> <laughs> we are, What's happening? We are hearing our colleagues' audio. Right? If the control room can turn off the mics... To be the yeah. If the, if the control room can turn off the mics of our previous moderators, we will... the You know, we've prepared for yes. everything. Guess what, guys? We are going to take a quick break. We're going to get this technical uh, situation fixed. We will be right back. <laughs> what it sounded like What
3: it sounded like, if you've ever done anything in TV, they will mic you up, they'll put this little box on your waist, and you'll carry it around with you for the rest of the night because if you're going to come back on stage or whatever, they don't need to re-mic you. What it sounds like, they, whoever started off moderating, like Lester Holder, whomever, left the stage area, and they didn't turn off their mics. They didn't turn down their mics, and they were still hot, as they say. How can you not know? You had one job and then you got fired. This is the Gary and Shannon Show. Mo Kelly in for Gary and Shannon. KFI AM 640. More stimulating talk. Oh, KFI AM 640. More stimulating talk. This is the Gary and Shannon Show. Mo Kelly in for Gary and Shannon. Both today and tomorrow. Let's have some fun over the next couple of days. Some other stories that we're watching. Of course, we will have updates on the Torrance woman who was killed by sharks while snorkeling in the Bahamas. We've discussed a little bit the FAA pilots who found a new flaw in the Boeing 737 MAX, another flaw, a different flaw. And how is that going to play out? And of course, we've been talking about the Democratic debates, what happened last night, what is going to happen tonight, and whether it's going to be more explosive than last night. All of that we're following and more, but also there are the issues with the Supreme Court decisions which were handed down today. Two decisions. One regarding gerrymandering, and the court basically said that they're not going to involve themselves in the partisan politic discussions which are going to be had on the state levels as far as drawing these congressional districts, which was interesting because historically, if you look at the Voting Rights Act, the Supreme Court obviously had to weigh in to make sure states were within the federal guidelines, or at least uh, the law as it relates to administering uh, voting policies and making sure that there was nothing illegal going on. That was one decision. The second decision, which is garnering more attention and more focus from where I sit, is the one having to do with the census. Now, the Supreme Court rejected in a five-to-four decision the Trump administration's justification for adding a citizenship question to the 2020 census and sending the matter back to the commerce department for further explanation and review. The decision blocks the addition of a citizenship question for now. This is most important. This is almost temporary in nature because the possibility has been left open that the commerce department can come back when they have basically a better reason or justification for adding the citizenship question where it gets complicated is the census bureau is right now poised to print the census forms in the next few days. So they can't add the question now. So in response to that, the president is trying to get out in front and saying that he is willing and is looking into delaying the census, at least for now to see if that question can be added at a later, later date, which then throws it back in the purview of the Supreme Court, whether that would be permissible. So that is what is getting the most amount of, of focus at, at this point. And if you don't know, when we have the census every 10 years, we're trying to figure out how many people are in this country. And from that, we have our congressional representatives, a portion is based on our total population. So it's very important to get an accurate number. What is less clear is whether the citizenship component is necessary in determining that number. And the, the Trump administration has been arguing for quite some time that this is fundamental to finding out who should be fairly and equally represented in those numbers, as opposed to just finding out the total number. Is it a piece of information which gives us context surrounding num- the numbers or Or is it a political partisan tool which could be used or abused? And you think about it, this is very close in nature to the issue of gerrymandering in the sense of if the federal government says that the Supreme Court has no business trying to involve itself in the state affairs as it relates to elections and drawing up districts, well, then why would the Supreme Court then also have some sort of role to play as it relates to the census, which is part and parcel related to our congressional representatives. So it's actually a very complicated issue when you look at both of those decisions together, as opposed to trying to take them one at a time. And from where I sit, it looked like the Supreme Court just punted, as they say on the gerrymandering decision. And if you don't know gerrymandering is a cute way of saying let's make sure that the party that we want to be in party be in power will stay in power. So we'll draw these ridiculous-looking districts where you can make sure that only Republicans in that district will likely vote, and they'll vote for the preferred person of that party. But that's gerrymandering. We'll get to that at some other time. Joining me on the line right now is Mona Kosabi. Did I do that right, of ABC News? Okay, because I'm not too good with the pronunciation, so thank you for giving me a pass. (laughs) Mona, I was giving just a brief rundown about the significance from where I sit about this census decision or at least delayed decision where the Trump administration, the Commerce Department, will have an opportunity to go back and come up with a better reason or a different reason why this question of citizenship should be included in the 2020 census. What more do we know?
7: Right, so what's important to know is that the Supreme Court didn't decide if it was unconstitutional or constitutional to add a citizenship question to the census. What they did was say the reasoning behind it was, did not justify uh, adding a, the citizenship question on to the census. Um, in unusually sharp terms, Chief Justice John Roberts criticized Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross and the Trump administration for essentially fabricating a case for the citizenship question. He said that he didn't believe, um, or the justices didn't believe that uh, it was solely because of the request of the Justice Department, and as more and more information came out, uh, it became pretty evident that the Commerce, Depar- uh, yeah, Commerce Department was trying to add that question on to the citizenship well before uh, they pressured the DOJ to then uh, request it. Uh, What's important about that is right now the House Oversight Committee is also uh, conducting their own investigation into why that question was added and Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross testified that it was because of a request by the Justice Department in order to help them enforce the Voting Rights Act that they decided to then add it on to the 2020 Census. So it looks like right now the justices basically said that their reasoning wasn't justified, so uh, it doesn't seem like the Trump administration will then leave it there, but go back and try to come up with a better reasoning.
3: The Trump administration, I should say the president himself, has already said that he's willing to withhold sending out the 2020 census forms in the event that the Commerce Department can come up with a sufficient reason and then get to the go-ahead and okay to include that question. From where you sit, is there any legal precedent to allow that or to delay the the dissemination of the census for such reasons?
7: Uh, it looks like he has a tough road ahead of him to in order to do that. Um, he may ask his lawyers if he can delay the census, but he has seriously limited options to do so. Um, at least that's according to uh, the census experts that we spoke with. Um, and so... That doesn't seem like the most plausible route that he will go to go through. Uh, granted, I believe it's supposed to come out by next week uh, or the process at least supposed to start by next week. and so um, it doesn't appear that he will have uh, much uh, luck going down that route, but it does appear that they will just Um, tried to figure out how to justify it and go forward. Because, again, it's not that the justices ruled that it was unconstitutional, but uh, instead they just said um, that the explanation, um, I actually have it right in front of me, the justice, uh, Chief Justice John Roberts basically said that he cannot ignore the disconnect between the decision made and the explanation given. And that's what uh, he said, you know, trying to justify that it was because of the Voting Rights Act. That rationale, he said, seemed contrived.
3: How Are you hearing any type of specific pushback against Chief Justice John Roberts, who seemingly, again, sided with the ideological opposite end of the spectrum on the Supreme Court for this uh, slim majority decision, 5-4? Are you hearing any pushback from the Trump administration specifically against Chief Justice Roberts? Uh,
7: Not specifically, but they are sticking to their reasoning and saying that you know they do not agree that the explanation uh didn't justify it and it seems that they are uh holding firm to that that it was indeed, because of the Justice Department um, and trying to enforce the Voting Rights Act. But it's what's also interesting about that particular reasoning and what Chief uh, Justice John Roberts said is that it, his, his, uh, the, his opinion basically supports what Dem- House Democrats have been saying, that this decision is politically motivated and is intended as a voter suppression measure. And so going forward, we will likely see... Um, House Democrats ramping up their investigation and also continuously pointing to this decision uh, when they requested uh, during the investigation process, uh, House Democrats were, or excuse me, House Republicans were accusing Democrats of trying to um, influence the Supreme Court decision. Again, a lot was uh, weighing on this decision that now was handed down. So uh, between this and obviously the Supreme Court deciding on the gerrymandering cases, uh, these are two big things that will, Shape not only uh, politics going forward, but especially the 2020 election.
3: She is Mona Abdi, ABC News correspondent. Mona, thank you so much for your insight, and we'll be checking in with you again sometime soon. Thank you for having me. This is the Gary and Shannon Show, Mo Kelly in for Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640, Tech Talk when we come back.
2: If only Gary and Shannon
3: Show, Mo Kelly in for Gary and Shannon, it's Thursday and Friday. KFI AM 640, more stimulating talk, some stories which we are following before we get to Tech Talk. FAA pilots, they found a new computer-slash-software flaw in the Boeing 737 MAX. If you thought that its issues were over, no, they're going to have another round of them. And starting today, Twitter is going to add a warning to tweets by politicians and world leaders that violate its rules. No telling how that's going to turn out, but right now it's time for Tech Talk.
0: The machines are getting smarter. This is Tech Talk. Tech Talk. Brought to you by Skynet.
3: Joining me right now is Mark Salzman, USA Today, tech writer and host of the Tech It Out podcast on iHeartRadio. Great gadgets for road trips and great apps for travelers. That's our subject today. Mark, how are you, my friend? Hey, I'm, I'm great, Mo. Thanks, man. How you doing? I'm um, outstanding it's always good to talk to another tech geek someone who understands this who lives this who knows that the world can end without it okay maybe i i'm being a little dramatic but but this is the time where people are going on vacations or they're going on Mm -hmm. maybe just an extended drive or they have long commutes like i do every single day what do you recommend in terms of apps must have or gadgets let's start with the apps
5: first yeah sure so it is road trip season of course. So. A must have would be ways. Uh, for your main map. I don't know if you use Waze. Um, I know I hear KFI plugging it. So this is like better than Google Maps, even though it's owned by the same company and better than Apple Maps. This will not only help you get to where you're going faster by uh, crowdsourcing information from all the millions of Wazers out there. It's using your vehicle to see how fast or slow traffic is moving. But what I like is that it's like a legal radar detector. It tells you when there is uh, an officer with, yeah, it tells you about all the, the speed traps out there, somebody holding a a, a radar gun or, or a stationary, like on a turret kind of thing. And it tells you long in advance, like just so you know, it'll say like in, you know, quarter of a mile on the right side. You're you're going to see a speed trap, so it just gives it saves you money and it gets you to where you're going fast. So Waze, W A Z E, it is owned by Google now, and they're starting to weave in some of the Waze features into Google Maps. But Waze is awesome; it'll tell you deals on restaurants if you if you say, and you can use your voice. I want I want coffee. It'll say, oh well, if you're a Wazer, you can buy one get one free uh, at the next uh, off ramp, you know, off the freeway. So number one, Waze. Number two, Gas Buddy that's going to save you some cash, as you likely know it'll it'll sniff out the best deals for gas in your area and uh, you you can even you know drill down to what kind of pardon the pun what kind of gas you want if it 's diesel if it 's premium or if it 's regular and it'll tell you the best uh, best prices and some other deals as well road trippers and Yelp those are good if you are going to um, uh, a state or a city that you 're not too familiar with because it'll show you uh uh, curated reviews and, and, and star ratings by other users for things like restaurants, camping grounds, you know, hotels, and uh, it's all crowdsourced, you know, the powers and the people. So it's using all that data. So those are a few great road trip gadgets, uh, sorry, apps. We'll get to gadgets in a moment. Waze, Gas Buddy, Road Trippers, and Yelp, I think, are some really good ones.
3: Now I have to throw in one of my favorites. Please. And it's the uh,
5: TuneIn tune radio app.
1: Yeah. I have a of
3: long commute and. For example, if you like to watch cable news, but you can't watch it in your car, obviously, they have the free channels, the audio feeds of Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, and you can just listen to them for free and you're not missing Mm -hmm. anything. And they have other great channels, but I'm saying TuneIn is just a stellar app for people who have long commutes.
5: Yeah, I've been using TuneIn for many, many years, and now they're they're doing more podcasts and some other uh, curated content. So it's a great app for listening even to your favorite local radio station when you're on a road trip in another state where typically the signal obviously won't reach. So that's a good one. Of course, iHeartRadio. And then one last tip before we get into gadgets uh, is that if you have kids that you're trying to entertain in the backseat to reduce the are we there yet, popular apps on road trips are uh, Netflix, Amazon, and Spotify. And the tip is this, before you leave your home, you can download these movies and TV shows and songs now before you incur any data charges, because you're going to now use cellular Connectivity. If you're trying to stream a movie to that iPad in the back seat, so be careful. So do that. Like just have a little bit of uh, you know, just forward thinking a little bit before you leave the home when you've got Wi-Fi for free, or if you're in a hotel and you've got free Wi-Fi, download all those movies and TV shows for the little ones, and then when you're wa- when they're watching that in the back of the vehicle, they're not going to incur any costs. It's stored locally temporarily, but locally on that device, whether it's a phone or a tablet.
3: I have a question mark, I'll, and I wondered this because working in the business of radio. We're in the business of broadcasting with transmitters, and I thought that radio, as we know it, will exist up until the point they figure out a way to get internet in everyone's car, and they can listen to anything, anywhere, at any time. How close are we to getting internet standardized in in cars? Mm-hmm.
5: It's it's getting there. Right now, I would say is a stopgap solution is. Is CarPlay and Android Auto. So, in hundreds of new vehicles now, depending and regardless of the brand you like, whether it's uh, American, European, or Asian vehicles, you simply connect your Android to your iPhone, and then your dashboard now closely resembles your favorite smartphone. And that's where you've got those services like TuneIn and iHeartRadio and some others out there, where you can listen to your local stations or some national stations, uh, as well as satellite radio as well, anywhere you are in the country. But soon, it'll be built into vehicles with 5G. So I think when 5G um, materializes, and now there's a couple of question marks because of Huawei and all that, we don't need to go there. But the promise of YG is that the the concept of downloading is done. Everything is just going to instantly appear, because it's going to be about 100 times faster than... And what we have today, 4G or LTE, wow. if that's the case and it's built, that chip is built into the car and you just pay an extra, say, 10 bucks a month uh, to your carrier, then you're the whole world is going to open up to you and you can listen to radio from your favorite country uh, anywhere on the go and it'll be built into the car. You won't need your smartphone for it. So, if you, I, I, so to answer your question, maybe 18 months to 24 months that before soon. we start seeing oh, 5G. Wow. Oh, yeah, oh. yeah. I think so. The, well, we're hearing that it's coming this year. I, I think it's going to be delayed for a few reasons, yeah.
3: Gadgets for when you're going on mm-hmm. your road trip.
5: Yeah, let's uh, let's end off on some hardware. So I think um, a must-have is a dash cam. I know many of your listeners already have them. It provides video evidence should it see an incident. But I think it's really important. And the prices are dropping considerably. So this is, of course, a little camera that you would mount to your windshield, and it records everything that it sees. And then if it does detect an incident because of a jolt, then it locks that file so that video won't override it. It'll just you know stay there. But otherwise, it records video to that little memory card inside, and it provides video evidence should you need it in case there's ever you know a dispute over an accident or some sort of of altercation and then speaking of which if you 're pulled over by the police, all of these um, dash cams or most of them I should say they 're on a swivel so you can point it towards the driver 's side window if you are having a conversation with an officer just in case you need that video evidence I would recommend you do that and it is legal so definitely have a dash cam they 're as low as you know seventy nine dollars for an entry level one i 'm a fan of the garmin branded ones, which are a bit more, but they have a few more features. Also, I would get a uh, battery charger for your vehicle, so you don't have to call, um, you know, AAA or and use up one of those valuable. I think you're only allowed a couple a year. So if you have a charger that not only can charge up your smartphone, but it can boost your own battery, those are also dropping in price under $100 on Amazon. And uh, that means you pull over safely to the side of the road if your battery needs a boost, and then you can use your own jumper cables built connected to this little. Portable battery. So that's there's a brand called Gulu. There's Moto Master, a few others out there, and then finally, again, to keep the kids uh, entertained in the back seat, you can pick up a tablet or a Nintendo Switch. Which, uh, both of them will let you, let you play games solo or with somebody else, um, earphones to give mom and dad some privacy so they don't have to hear, um, you know, baby shark over and over again. And <laughs> you can pick those up from the dollar store and the, the, from your local, you know, Dollar Tree or what have you. And the good thing there is that those earphones are, they can't get very loud. So if you've got young kids and you're worried about them, uh, hurting their ears with earbuds or earphones, if you pick them up at the dollar store, it'll, they can't get too loud. So that's a tip right there.
3: Okay, I have one more pet question for me specifically because it's all about me, of course. Have you always? I have I have a, a Google Pixelbook. And for a while they were theorizing that it may be dual boot in the sense of they have the Android OS system mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. they, you could boot Windows as well. Right, right now you can, you can do that in Linux as well. But they were going to do it for Windows. Have you heard anything about that or is that a dead issue?
5: Yeah, I haven't heard anything in a while. I did hear that uh rumor as well, maybe about a year ago, but I haven't seen that materialize. You can do that on Macs with uh, either Boot Camp or something called Parallels. Yes. You can have both Windows and Mac. But yeah, for Chrome and Windows, I don't think uh Pixelbook or uh, I don't not that I'm aware of that that it supports it yet. But uh, you know, Android uh, or or um, Chrome, which is built yes. on Android, is is an open platform, so I'm sure somebody's figured it out and it is probably a download at the Google Play Store if any KFI listener knows be sure to text in and tell us what the app is called because it may not be officially supported, but probably doable. He is Mark Saltzman, USA <laughs> Today Tech Writer
3: and host of the Tech It Out podcast here on iHeartRadio. Mark, thank you so much for geeking out with me, and I can't wait to do it again sometime.
5: Yeah, thanks, Mo. All the best. This is the Gary and Shannon Show.
3: I'm Mo Kelly. KFI AM 640, more stimulating talk. <laughs> Gary and Shannon Show, Mo Kelly. KFI AM 640, more stimulating talk. And of course, we're still following what's going to happen, possibly in Miami tonight with the Democratic debates. It should be high comedy, probably. And unfortunately, we are still covering or having to cover that ongoing story with the Torrance woman who was killed by sharks while snorkeling in the Bahamas. But now it's time for strange science.
1: Strange science. It's, alive.
0: it's like weird science, but strange.
3: You know, in the last segment, we were speaking with Mark Saltzman, and we were talking about Waze. I like Waze, the driving app, but there are things I don't like about it as it relates to when you're at a stop or a stoplight, ads will pop up. And that distracts me because it's making me look at the screen when ordinarily I wouldn't be. I could just listen to it because it's bright and it's it's moving around. So I have Waze and also Google Maps. The reason I don't particularly care for Google Maps is a lot of times wrong. It'll lead you in the wrong direction or gets lost or gets me lost and it gets confused. For example, nearly 100 drivers followed a Google Maps detour and ended up stuck in the mud in an empty field. 100 Colorado drivers learned what I already knew that you can't necessarily trust Google Maps. There was a crash on Peña Boulevard, a road leading to Denver International Airport. And the app prompted people who are approaching that accident to take this detour. And, of course, it was too good to be true. The alternate route took drivers down a dirt road that rain had turned into a muddy mess and the car started sliding around and they get trapped. And then you have to call a tow truck and then you're creating another detour for other drivers to avoid. I don't trust Google Maps for that reason. So when I do use any type of of GPS, I usually, in the back of my mind, have a general idea of where I'm going. So if it tells me to go somewhere which seems strange, I will always trust my gut for that reason. NASA, they're looking to score it big in asteroids. Here's what I mean. NASA is looking at an asteroid that contains enough gold to make everyone on Earth a billionaire, or maybe not. Psyche 16 is nestled between the orbits of Mars and Jupiter and is made of solid metal, not just gold. This asteroid is loaded with platinum, iron, and nickel. In total, it's estimated, I should say it's called Psyche, Psyche's various metals are worth ten thousand quadrillion. Now, I'm not a math major, but that's quadrillion with like another six zeros. So see if you can figure that out. 10,000 quadrillion. If you were to bring that much back to Earth, it would destroy every single commodity market because it would be so plentiful. Everyone would have it and it would then cease to have value because it would not be in demand at all. It would cause all of our world's economy to collapse if we brought that much precious metals back to earth. We don't need to bring it all back, just enough so I can pay my mortgage. I don't ask for a lot. I'm not, I'm not really a, a greedy man. Just, I want to win the lottery and get like $10 million. I don't need $500 million Powerball and stuff. Just give me a good $10 million and don't tell anybody. And just keep on working a little while and then retire. Then I'd be a happy man. I don't even wear like gold or precious metals for the most part. That's just not my thing. But I would take $10 million real quick. As a matter of fact, Tessa, before we go to this news break, are you in the um, the lotto?
2: Oh, yes. Okay, here? Yes.
3: People don't know or they may not know. KFI has a lottery group. I,
2: yeah. I was in that group to... before I did like setting up my email. Like...
3: <laughs> you're supposed to put money in. Did you put money in? I have. Okay. Just want to make sure not everyone's donating to the cause. I'm current. Okay. I'm not. Gary and Shannon show on Mo Kelly. KFI M640, more stimulating talk. Hey. No more skirt. Good. KFI M640, more stimulating talk. to Gary and Shannon show on Mo Kelly. In for Gary and Shannon today and tomorrow. So enjoyed you staying around with me, hanging out with me. Host of the Mo Kelly show, which airs here Saturdays and Sundays from 6 to 8 p.m. Talk about everything from politics to sports, entertainment, popular culture. It does not matter. We have a good time. So come join me. You can always find me at KFIAM640.com. You can find out more on my personal website at MrMoKelly.com. That's M R M O K E L L Y.com. On social media, Twitter and Instagram at MrMoKelly and Facebook.com forward slash The Mo Kelly Show. And let's finish up with some more strange science. I'm a kid who grew up in the shadow of of the Apollo 11 landing almost 50 years ago to the day. I'm sad that I was too young to remember it firsthand because for a while growing up, I thought I wanted to be an astronaut. I thought I was going to be a kid of the space program and grow up with that fully immersed in it. Didn't turn out that way. wasn't too good in science. Wasn't too good in math. Wasn't too good in a lot of subjects actually, but it turned out okay. But 50 years later, United States is preparing to celebrate the moon landing. And when I say celebrate, that means they're trying to market and commercialize and profit off it. Fifty years later, the moon is still great for business. For example, there is a $34,600 limited edition Omega Speedmaster, a watch, a tribute to the watch that Buzz Aldrin wore on the moon. And it can be yours for almost $35,000 dollars. There's a new NASA Apollo 11 lunar lander set from Lego, which is on sale. In 1969, Zippo released a lighter saluting the Apollo 11 mission and its astronauts. Now, 50 years later, Zippo has sold out of the 14,000 limited edition lighters as a tribute, and they were priced at $100 each. Krispy Kreme. I don't know how donuts and uh, space exploration cross but here we go they say it served donuts to witnesses at the Apollo 11 launch that's their connection so they've conjured up a new treat filling its classic glazed donuts with cream how does does that I don't know how that connects just because you fill up a donut with cream how is that honoring Apollo 11 This is getting out of hand. This is not actually a celebration of what happened 50 years ago. But something which I do think is interesting is NASA, they connected hundreds of moon samples, rock samples, and they sealed a lot of them not to be open 50 years ago. So now they're going to open up some of them and use 21st century technology to analyze them, to check out their composition See how the the rock samples will react to our atmosphere in this, the 21st century. And that could be kind of cool to see what they can find out now, which they could not find out some 50 years ago. And let me leave you with this last story. I would call myself tech obsessed. I'm a person who spends an an inordinate amount of time on my phone, maybe more than I should. In fact, I'm sure it's way too much, but it's a part of my life. It's what I do for a living, or at least that's how I justify it. There are reports now that our use of of mobile phones and technology in general, it's changing our physical appearance slowly, and we're mutating and will be a somewhat different life form by the year twenty one hundred. Last week there were some stories about phone overuse which would call cause spikes to grow at the base of our skulls. Well It might be worse than that. A group of experts created a 3D model showing changes they see coming to humanity by 2100 in which we would have permanently hunched backs and clawed hands from too much texting. And we will have a thicker skull and smaller brain because we would be using our brains less and depending on technology more. I don't know if any of that is true. I do know I won't be around in 2100, so I don't have to worry about it. But I do believe that there are unintended consequences of all this tech that we're using. In fact, right before I get out of here and John and Ken get in here, I was driving up to the studio and there was this guy. This was early in the morning who was walking across the street, not at a crosswalk in the middle of a a major thoroughfare with those Apple AirPods in his ear, looking at his phone, head down, walking across a four lane highway. And I was If I was as much of an a-hole as I used to be, I would have run up on him and screeched my brakes and stopped right in front of him because that's who I was. But instead, I was flicking my lights. It was that early in the morning. You know, high beams, like, look up, look up. He didn't even see the lights. I was on my horn until finally he looked up and he looked at me like, what? What the problem? What the problem, man? And I said, get out of the freaking street. My thing is we use technology so much it's to the point that it puts us in other danger as opposed to we won't be around in 2100 most likely if we can't even think about just walking across the street in an area of danger where their car is going back and forth and not looking up. That's going to kill us much sooner than anything else as far as any mutation. I'm out of here. John and Ken are coming up next. So keep it right here on KFI AM 640. See you tomorrow
1: watch for another episode soon of Gary and Shannon